Well, that's why I asked. That's how you learn, by asking, you dumbass. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer, TGIF Indeed. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. And we are here in your ears for the hour if our luck holds up. And of course, we stay on the good side of bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. Benny, how are you today, sir? I'm doing awesome to my wonderful favorite Floridians. Is this a long are we list? The or only ones you we're the know? only two he knows. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, actually, no, I think I got. No, no, you're the only two. I'm not going to like <laughs> sugarcoat anything. <laughs> That's okay. We'll, well market the heck out of that. And, yeah. and speaking of favorite Floridians, uh, on July 8th here, which was a couple days ago, mm-hmm. we uh, we celebrated nine years in Florida. We, we arrived on July 8th, 2011. Go. All yeah. right. There you go. After a cross-country car ride from <laughs> Seattle to Sarasota. And uh, and so we we uh, popped a bottle of champagne and hopefully uh, not in the car outside the car right. and and, okay. and just can't believe we're okay. still alive here in the middle of COVID nineteen in Florida. All right, so. <laughs> we're going we're east. Up here. Yeah, we're going east. Yes. Don't stop us. We are looking forward today to talking once again with Carl Petri. He's an extraordinary man. He lives in New Jersey. Weather-wise, I think they're getting it today. I saw in the weather. Channel. Lots of rain. Atlantic City was yeah. a man. If people are dashing between casinos, good luck to you. There was one person walking on a drenched sidewalk, rain pouring. They were all alone for a block, and they panned in, and um, they're wearing a mask. I'm going now. That's the civic spirit. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Nobody within a country mile, but you're wearing your mask. Thank goodness. That's okay. That's dedication. That's priorities. That is not a criticism. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Why don't you do the mad props today, and we'll bring Carl on. Sounds good to me. Carl Petri was born with an unusual psychic and mediumistic ability to see and communicate with the dead, see into the past. That's a crucial aspect, seeing into the past, as well as touching the troubled hearts of the living. Throughout his life, Carl has helped people reconnect with loved ones who have passed and resolved their grief. With his help, he's also given a voice to the dead who wish to be heard and who have urgent messages and stories to tell. Carl Petri is able to visit locations and get accurate information about history, events, and people from past and in the present, too. He is empathic, and he's able to tune into the emotions of others, past and present. Presently, he joins us on Manson Mitchell. We're delighted to have you again, Carl Petri. Well, it's great to be on your show. This is, a, this is you, a great thing for me. I love this show. Oh, wonderful. Thank We're you. delighted to have you. How are you holding up weather-wise? Big storm is moving your way. Big storm is here. Everything is being drenched. Uh, at least all the flowers and everything get plenty of rain, but it is raining pretty hard here today. We don't. We typically get this kind of stuff in July. We have been receiving less rainfall than usual. Yes. Yeah. So we're waiting yeah. to get it here. And uh, Benny, while you're st- still there near a microphone, Seattle weather-wise, I mean, is it? This is the the golden time typically in Seattle where you don't have a lot of rain. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Can you ask that one more time? I did just take my headphones off for just a quick second. Sorry about oh, that. Just, 
Go ahead. Uh, are you getting much rain in Puget Sound the last few days? The last we've just been sprinkles a little bit, but we're waiting for summer uh, with bated breath, and it should be arriving very shortly. I mean, the official summer summer, even though they said it was, you know, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? We're warming up. How's that? We're warming up. Good to hear that. That's for sure. Well, now that we got the weather report out of the way, I wanted right. to throw something at Carl that I had absolutely no intention of doing and no opportunity to do until something that happened as I just woke up this morning, Carl, and it, the functional word here is time. I woke up, but I hadn't opened my eyes yet. This is a guy like you working past and present. You're the perfect person to whom I can address this. Maybe my subconscious gave me an idea to do this. And man, it was startling. It never fails to amaze me. I got into that twilight sleep but just before you wake up and you're still inspecting your eyelids you know and it was just this morning what i saw before i opened my eyes for the first time was a blank ipad screen and i keep all of my informational life on my ipad it was a blank screen and in the corner in those, those tiny numbers that you see on your devices it said 650 so 6.50 a.m. And I thought, right. well, man, I really would rather go to sleep some more because another hour or two wouldn't hurt my feelings at all. And I said, but I'm curious to know, why don't you open your eyes, I said to myself, and check the clock to see what time it really is. So I opened my eyes and I leaned forward on resting on my elbows to take a peek at the clock radio on the chest of drawers. And the time was 6.50 precisely there and i thought ain't mind a miracle it i had it before my in my field of vision then i forced myself so i could verify the time i open my eyes i look over and it's 650 the very time that i saw i bring it to you carl because you're the kind of gentleman and i think you're in pretty rare company with your angle on things to be able to look at past present and future from the standpoint of peering into the other side of life where time is not viewed or appreciated in the same limited sense as we who are in the body are inclined to do. Isn't that right? That is absolutely true. What do you make what happens of his... to you about what, Yeah. Uh, what happens to you about waking up at a certain time, you visualize time and then you looked at the clock and it was that time. Uh, welcome to my world. That happens to me all the time. And it's fascinating to me because it just gives me an expanded notion of what our minds are and what they can do. I know and any number of people will tell you that they have mastered the art. Suzanne's mother did this for years and years. Mastered the art. Where she decided yeah. she didn't like alarm clocks, and who does? So she decided what she would do is decide when it's time to get up, and then her body woke up at the appropriate time. It's happened to me off and on, but I found it especially remarkable that I could see a time before I opened my eyes and then verify it instantly. And I had to fight off. I was curious about what time it might be. I thought, I'm just going to roll over and sleep for another hour or two. But I just was curious enough to see what time it actually was. And it's the precise time. So this is the functioning of the mind that goes way beyond what we think we are capable of in our day-to-day -day lives. I agree. Uh, what I do is I usually, uh, if, if, let's say I have a vision of something and I suddenly wake up. What I do is I look at the clock, 
and I have a piece of paper near my bed, and I put the time that I saw this. So when I'm recalling the incident that I saw, I'll say it was a Tuesday uh, early in the morning at uh, 3.23 in the morning that I saw this vision. And I would have an exact time, the place where I was at, and, you know, so it gives a better feel for exactly what I was trying to, uh, what, what I'm trying to tell people about. When this happens to you, Carl, do you find that there's a connection to something that you may learn later? Like, like if you, if you're seeing a client or you're going out and, you know, if you're talking to people, do you suddenly find that, that whatever vision you had relates to somebody on this side that, that may come up at a later time and you say, oh, yes, I, I know about that. And you can refer oh. back to a vision that you had? Oh, sure. I'll be speaking to somebody about, they'll be telling me about an incident that happened that they were dreaming about and this and that. And I said, oh, that happened uh, yesterday about, you know, 4 o'clock in the morning. And they'll look at me and say, that was exactly when I saw it. That's exactly when I woke up my clock at 4 o'clock because I could see it. I could see it right through them. So, yeah, time plays a very important part, at least for me. And I, I keep accurate records, and it is part of my persona when I meet different people. Time, time has a lot to do with it. What was what was interesting to me, and I was sharing this with Gary this morning, is that my mom refused, refused to ever set an alarm clock because she found it so jarring to herself to have any kind of a sound that was coming into her her field there uh, in the morning. So no matter what time she had to get up, whether it was, you know, seven o'clock or six o'clock, or maybe she had to get up at 4.30 to get to the airport and catch a plane, no matter what time it was, she decided, usually the night before, I will get up at 4.30, I will get up at six o'clock, I will get up at 6.45, and whatever time it was, was the exact time that she woke up. And I said to Gary, what's interesting about your thinking that it's 6.50 is that it's 6.50 on the East Coast, and that's the time zone you happen to reside in. You, you could have seen 3.50, which would have been the West Coast time. But it's interesting that he saw the time zone that he actually resides in. And even time is fluid because we make that up, don't we? Yes, we do. When you are talking to people on the other side, and this is all within the context of this discussion of time, all of a sudden we're, we're talking in these terms. When you are dealing with those who wish to communicate with those of us who are on the earth plane, and we have the limitations right. of being in our physical bodies, what is it that you have learned and how do you express to people the sense that appears to be the case on the other side that it isn't like there's no time at all, but people on the other side, these spirits back home in the spirit world, seem to be able to look at past, present and future in a melded, blended kind of way in a way that is not accessible to we who have to watch the clock and the calendar. Right. We're slaves to time. They're not. Uh, for example, when you hear, um, let's say, a, a ghost walking around the fields in Gettysburg, and they see 
modern-day people standing there, and they look have a puzzled look on their face because they can't understand why these people dressed so weird are on a battlefield. See, for the, these ghosts, uh, time means nothing. They're back in 19, I mean, 1863, and it's us who are in modern time. So there's a, a blur of time, and I, I see this a lot with people from the other side. Uh, they feel like they just passed or that they're around and we're the ones that are invading their space. So, yeah, time does play a, a cruel game in a sense. And uh, I, I've met people who crossed over and were happy to see me because I could, I could convey what they want to say to the living. And it always seems to me that they feel like they just crossed uh, the day before. It's weird. We're the ones that are stuck in a crazy time loop. You know, you know what's interesting about that is that um, my mom passed away in 2010, 10 years ago, and and I have recorded only my most vivid, lucid dreams of her, and because right. there've been a couple of others where she was just like uh, you know in a little movie, but there were some that were very interactive, and in the last lucid dream that I had of my mom, she said to me, I know it's been a long time. So it had been, you know, that it had been years since I had seen her in a dream. And, and, and she acknowledged that. And I, and I thought that was kind of interesting because it was a long time for me, but it may not have been a long time for her, but she still had that sense Right. I don't think seven cement type of rule for this thing. You know, for some, maybe they're passing a hundred or so years ago happened yesterday, and some they feel the time that we're we're feeling the years that go by. I don't think there's one formula for everybody. Okay. It also brings up another question since we're still on this topic. It it would seem as though that when you're interacting with people on this side, they are most interested in their friends and relatives who have passed on within the last hundred years or so. Um, it could be their parents, it could be their children, it could be their grandparents. But do you find very often that you're talking to people from maybe hundreds of years ago, maybe ancestors that are not just grandparents, but great, great, great grandparents who never met them, maybe somebody in their ancestral line, but somebody they would have never known because of the time difference on this side, maybe two, right. three, four hundred years ago. Does that very often come up in your readings? Uh, not that long. It could be for, uh, let's say, a hundred years or less. Uh, I would say, like, grandparents uh, may want to contact family members of today that, you know, that began their life after theirs was gone. And as a matter of fact, I'm writing a story about that now in my new book uh, about my relationship with my grandfather, who died seven years before I was born. And it seems like he's, he's come to see me a number of times. 
and uh, we have discussions, and he likes to talk about his life and all this, and I learn things about my grandfather uh, that I never knew before. And this is an ongoing thing. And like I said, I'm writing about it in my new book. You anticipated exactly where I was going, and that was that my very, very first encounter with a medium, my number one encounter with a medium when I said, hello, you know, my name is, she said to me, who's Henry? And I looked at her and I instantly knew. I said, oh, Henry was my great grandfather, but he died long before I was born. And she goes, oh, that doesn't matter. He knows about you. And, And I thought, well, how fascinating that a great-grandfather who died long before I was born would be even around me. Which really uh, is an obstacle for me is I'll meet people, and then I'll see somebody coming from the other side, and they're speaking a different language. Ah. I'm there, oh, my God. You know, they're speaking Italian, and I don't speak Italian. Uh, what do I do? So what I... Hopefully there's somebody there that can speak Italian. If not, you know, they, they start looking on their computer uh, or their cell phones, whatever, to find out what I'm saying. They'll say, okay, I'm going to start talking. I'm going to parrot whatever I hear in my horrible, you know, accent, American accent. And you can try to figure out what they're saying. And then I'll start speaking a different language, uh, which is very frustrating for me because I know I'm not pronouncing it exactly, you know, correct but I'm speaking a different language, and then they're trying to figure out what it was. And then it all makes sense later, but at the time, it comes as a shock. You know, you would think somebody, on the once they cross over, they learn English, but it's not true. They start speaking a different language. And uh, it, it could become very frustrating. It doesn't happen that often, but when it does, it becomes very frustrating, at least for me. In, in the world of mediumship, Carl, are you um, generally as proficient in clairaudience in the hearing as you are in clairvoyancy or the seeing? Yeah. Uh, the, and I spoke to another medium of my acquaintance uh, once over lunch, and he said that he was primarily clairaudient and he said, I like being clairaudient because if you can hear the words, they're open to much less interpretation than something that you're looking at and trying to describe. He said the word is the word. So he, he said he liked being clairaudient because that was a, a, a more straightforward, direct message than seeing something and then trying to describe what you're seeing. So uh, I, I, get, I would guess you work those two together then. Yes, I do. I, I never know how it's going to come, come to me. Uh, it may come through visual, visualization of, of things, or it may come as an audio. Uh, like I said, if it's visual and, and, and if I'm lucky that everybody can speak English, then it's really easy for me. Uh, but if it's, you know, as I mentioned before, it may come in a different way. Uh, you know, we're... It, it, they speak Italian or Polish or something like that. That's where it becomes a problem. But usually for the most part, I would say 99% of the time, 
I get the message. I know what they're trying to say. And we can go back and forth with a conversation. Carl, I wonder sometimes. I'm, oh, please go ahead. Uh, you know, I recall uh, once uh, a family, their son passed like a few weeks before, and they wanted to contact their son. So they asked me to stop by, and uh, I did. And, uh, you know, I sat there for a while, then I saw what their son looked like, and then I described the son, and they said, yeah, that, that's him. And all of a sudden, as I'm looking at the son, a woman comes into my mind, and she has a big smile on her face, and she says, oh, I'm glad you're here. I have a lot to say. You know, I have a lot to say. And then she starts talking to me, through me, to the people in the room. And she said, uh, to ask the woman, how did you like my jewelry? And so I don't, you know, I just say it the way I hear it. And then I started describing, uh, you know, what this woman is saying to me. And she wants to know how, how you like, how did you like her jewelry? And then I started describing it. She goes, that's the jewelry I got from my husband's mother. And then she started having this long conversation. And I'm talking there for over an hour about uh, the jewelry she had. And she said, uh, why don't you go get the uh, silver bracelet I gave you? I said, one of those leaves the room, comes back with a bracelet. And I said, that's not it. She leaves, come back with another one. I said, that's not it. Then she'll come out with another one. I said, that's the one. She bought it at Lipton's department store. And her husband and the woman's son said, that was your favorite store, which I you know, closed up years ago. I'm having a one-to-one conversation instead of with the deceased, the boy. I'm having it with his mother. And finally, I said, how about the boy? How is he? And she said, he'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And after about an hour, you know, she says, I'm going. And she left. How strange that was that I'm trying to contact the deceased boy and the mother comes in, and she's having a long conversation to, to her son and his wife. You never know what's going to come through. You never know what's going to come through. And it makes me feel sometimes, especially now during this conversation, the thought occurs to me, I should ask Carl if sometimes he feels like a, an orca or great white shark that's been tagged by the other side, and they're following you around, because it seems to me, Carl, that... If someone is speaking in a foreign language, trying to get a message through to someone else, they're seeing something about your nature, seeing something about your vibration and frequency so that they go, Mamma Mia, I can get through to my my child, right. my, my spouse, so forth, through this person because they see something about you that gives them the encouragement that they can communicate. What really explains is when uh, uh, someone passes away and there's like missing money, and then there's a fight amongst the family, and then they're trying to find this money. And then uh, you know, I'm a part of this whole thing. They're telling me about the money, this and this and that. And then I try to sleep at night, and then I, this person comes to me and tells me where the money is at. And I tell the family, look here for the money, and they find it. And that's how oh, I like me, that. Uh, a yeah. few times. <laughs> that's good. Do you I get like a finder's that. fee? <laughs> I wish I did. You see, the problem is I never charge for what I do. This is not my job. Oh. Um, I, 
I don't make any money uh, doing anything like anything paranormal. I do not charge. Um, and often I find out that when people are giving information for free, they think it's worthless. So people who do charge, I don't push them or say that they're doing anything wrong because many times I've told people, I told people stuff, which is true, and they took a like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they would pay a lot of money to go to another site who would tell them the same thing. And they would say, oh, I got all this great information. And I said, and then they would tell me, and I said, did you realize everything I told you? Well, yeah, that's true. I said, because I didn't charge, you figured it was worthless information. And then they, they just, they're embarrassed, and they don't know what to say. But I find that to be true. I just find out, I just, for me, it's, um, I feel like I have this ability, and I'm not trying to capitalize on it. This is not my life. This is not what I do for a living. This, I just do this in a sense. It's part of my life, but it's what I do on the side. I don't seek out work. The work comes to me. Well, that's that's very interesting, uh, Carl. I'm 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 asking myself here if this is a a spiritual practice for you, or if it's more like a hobby since it's not your regular job. I know you know Gary and I have different hobbies and crafts and things that we do that you know we don't get paid for. So how is it that you look at that? Is it just something you that, that you don't want to um, taint with money, or is it something that you feel that you you want to give away because it's it's part of your spiritual practice, or how is it that you look at that? I, I feel that I was given this ability not to make money, but to help the different people out. And uh, when people really have a problem, down to their soul with a problem, uh, they come to me because they know I'm not after money. I, I'm not here to take money from them. Of all people that came to me once was a was a Catholic priest. A Catholic priest came to me, and he says, I have a problem at my church. He says, and I don't know what to do. Can you help me? Now, that in alone is really weird to have a priest asking for my help. So I said, what's your problem? He said, at the first dance, which is at 6 o'clock in the morning, he said, uh, as I'm doing my math, I turn around and I see this man sitting in the, in the uh, one of the first few pews at the church. He said, as I'm turning around, I'm doing the math, I turn around to God. I turn around again, he's there. And he said, this worries me because the man appears and disappears, and if my parishioners see this happening in front of their eyes, it was a real problem. So I got up early in the morning when he was doing his bed, and I sat in the, in the corner watching this whole thing, and I saw the man appear and disappear. But I could huh. see the man, I see what he looks like, how he was dressed, and then I sort of like understood what was going through this man's mind. And when the whole thing was over, the priest, uh, the people that were there filed out of the church, and he came to me and he said to me, did you see anything? And I said, let me describe to you what the man looks like. And I, I gave him the description, and the priest said, that's exactly what the man looks like. I said, good. And I said, he appears, he disappears, and I said, he does that 
wife was sick, and you went there to comfort his wife, and for some reason he felt that God did him an injustice and she died. And somehow he feels that you were part of that. Huh. And when I told him the whole thing, he knew the woman I was talking about. And I said, well, now that you have all the information, it's up to you to do whatever you want to do. And I walked away. He said to me, I will call him to the church, you know, to his rectory, and I will talk to him, and I'll try to straighten everything out. I never heard back from the priest, so I assumed that faith and everything was worked out. But that's just one example of something that I would do. If if that if that vision was meant for the the priest and you were able to see it, is it likely that other parishioners saw this pe- this person appear and disappear, or is that not likely? Well, in this case, he made himself visible, and that's unusual. But you know, I saw him appear, and I, I pointed out to the people where he's sitting. I said, "This is where he was sitting," and he goes, "That is." So sometimes they do become visible, which does become a problem. They appear and they disappear. In this case, that's exactly what happened. Hmm. It's time for us to take a break. Okay. We are talking to Carl Petri. He is a medium. He is a paranormal investigator. He is author of the book, Absent Witness. And I would like to know how reactions are going with that wonderful book. And there's even talk of a television show, but you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and I think that gets in the way of a lot of productions. So I'm hearing, let's get into all that and more on the other side of a short break. We are Manson Mitchell and you are tuned into Seattle's home of alternative talk, AM 1150. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. I can't believe we have to make this commercial. It's ridiculous. You'll think it's ridiculous too. Listen to this. This commercial is about, well, it's about parents being rude at high school athletic events. Ridiculous, right? It gets worse. Studies show more than 75% of new high school officials are quitting because of bad adult behavior. So now there's a shortage of refs here in Washington, in almost all sports. No officials means no more games. 
Is that what you want for us? Come on, parents. It's time to grow up. Cheer for your team. Be proud of your children. But stop being so ridiculous. And don't make us run another commercial. Because we will. This message presented by the Washington Interscholastic Activities Association and the Washington State Secondary Athletic Administrators Association. Reminding you to always practice good sportsmanship. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed back Carl Petrie, a gifted medium and ghost researcher, for a lively round of metaphysical Q&A. On Saturday, Kim Stanwood Terranova makes her debut on our show, talking about her book, The Technology of Intention. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Get inspired. Every hour, right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Carl Petrie. He's a witness. He's an absent witness. That is the name of his book. Carl, if people would like to get your book or they would like to connect with you, what is the best way for them to do that? Well, the best way to get the book, of course, is you get it through Amazon. Uh, there's a lot of outlets for the, uh, for the book. It's it's everywhere, and it's also available on audio. If you're writing in your car, you can listen to Absent Witness. Did you read it, or did somebody else read it? What's that? The book? The audio book. Oh, the audio book. No, I had somebody else read it. Um, okay. They had a much better voice than mine, and I said, you know, I didn't want to ruin the book by, you know, me saying it. <laughs> you would not have ruined the book, but I do understand. I've listened to some audio books, and sometimes it's by the author, but sometimes you know that the book is from an author who's been dead for 50 years, and they're not around to do it, and somebody else will do it. But I do know a few people that want to hire a professional to deliver it in another tone of voice. It's all good as long as the message is getting out there. And I take it that you've gotten very favorable responses to Absent Witness? Oh, absolutely. The sales are, are very good. And uh, when I uh, speak publicly, you know, there are people sitting in the audience with copies of the book, and they would like me to autograph it. And uh, what I find that people like about the book is that uh, I'm a person of uh, with a background that is more like your common person. You know, I uh, was born in a, you know, poor family in Newark, New Jersey. And... Uh, you know, it shows the problems I had having abilities like this, going through life and not really knowing what it was. And it shows eventually learning the ability I had and how I used it. And uh, people can relate to that. And so that's, uh, I believe that's really one of the keys of the uh, high sales of the book. And now I'm writing my second book because the first book has been so good. Um, you know, in sales, but I figured I'll just continue the journey with the second book. Going into more details about uh, my experiences and the things that I've done, you know, in the past few years. Um, and it, it seems to me like a very, very good second book. And when do you anticipate that will be out, Carl? Uh, I hope by the end of this year it will be out. You know, oh, good. You know, everything right now is being edited. Uh, you know, to see if I make any mistakes or whatever, checking my grammar. Oh, I think that's oh, very great. good. There, I'm just going to ask this out of the blue because I have the opportunity. Wasn't it a point of pride with your family, Carl, 
there in New Jersey. Every week when the Dick Van Dyke show would come on, you were you were hearing and seeing some Petries there, even if they were fictional Petries. I mean, our, our surname, the Manses, showed up as main characters in a sitcom. I'd be pretty thrilled about that. Well, I've been with them my entire life. People come up to me, I'll say, there's Carl Petrie, and they'll say, how's Dora? <laughs> I think and, that's uh, fun. Through school and everywhere else, I would hear that all the time. And once I got married, I shared that great benefit with my wife. Now she gets to hear it. Yes, is exactly. Name, or is it Laura? I think that's funny. And, and uh, I could just hear your dad saying, leave it to a Petri to trip over the Ottoman. <laughs> that that is really very true to the form. I would do something <laughs> like that. <laughs> well, aren't we just having some fun here? <laughs> anyway, Carl, moving on. Carl, I did want to give you the opportunity to tell a remarkable story. You made a public appearance, and it's good to know that the younger generation is taking mediumship seriously, and the, uh, the curiosity is aflame regarding notions of the other side and, of course, attempts to answer the age-old question, what happens to us when we die. And you did that. I believe it was at a high school in an auditorium named for Connie Francis? That's, that's correct. The Connie Francis Auditorium. That's where I spoke. And uh, the way that it all happened is that... Uh, I met this woman. This all comes back to the first book. Uh, for years, I've been trying to write the book, Absent Witness, but I always got psyched that I, I just couldn't get this, this thing done. And then I threw a, um, this girl I know. She was telling me that in her high school that they're teaching a course on parapsychology. So she goes, you should meet my teacher. So I did. And, I and she knew about who I was and what I was doing. And she asked if I would speak at her school. And uh, I said, sure, I'll speak at your school. So she said, okay, I'll have a class. And she told me what time to come to the school and to speak to the class. Well, I went there. There were 40 people, 40 students. And so I spoke to the students, and they were just, they want to make a noise. They're listening to everything that I'm saying. And uh, after that was done, she said, they really liked you. Would you come back next year? I said, yes, I will. So the following year I went there, and this time they had like 145, maybe 150 students. And I was speaking to the students, and once again, they were really hanging on every word that I was saying. And as I was talking to them, a gym teacher walked into the room, and he was looking for some papers. And he's on the side listening to what I was saying, and he said, he goes, well, let me tell you something. I don't mean to interrupt Jesus, but I really don't believe in all this stuff, you know, what, what you're saying. He goes, but I got a question to ask you. I said, sure, what is it? He says, you believe that if people have, let's say, like if they, they tattoo something on their body, that it will ward off any evil spirit. And I looked at him, and I took my arms, and I stretched out my arms, and I started pointing to the inner parts of my arms, I said, if somebody wants to put a tattoo like here, I said, to war up evil spirits, I believe for them it will work. And he just stood there and stared at me. He goes, I don't believe what you just did. I said, what's that? And he, he had a long sleeve shirt on, uh, shirt on, and he pulled up his sleeve 
he turned his arm where I was pointing to, and he had sort of an insignia to aura evil spirit. And he goes, how did you know that? And I just looked at him. I said, that's my thing. He goes, I'm a believer, as he was walking out of the room. And so the class was like, wow, wow, that was great. Now, she asked, would I come back for the third time? I said, sure. So then, when right before I was ready to go, she says, you're not speaking in the classroom anymore. She goes, you're now speaking in our auditorium, the Connie Francis Auditorium. We went from 40 to about 150. Now I had a full auditorium. Like the, almost the entire school was there and the teachers. The teachers themselves wanted to hear me, but they had classes. So what they did, they got substitute teachers to teach the class, and they came to the auditorium. They wanted to hear what I had to say. And I was like the first class that came in, the auditorium was full, and I spoke for the entire day without stopping. For six hours, I spoke in that auditorium. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my word. And everyone would not move. It was really strange about this thing. I had some teachers that were, because I was in the front of the stage, and I had teachers on the side of me. And as I was speaking to the class, I noticed on the right-hand side of the auditorium was a specter, a fellow spirit that was standing there looking at me. And then I saw him walking down the aisle. And so as I was talking to the class, I got a piece of paper, and I wrote out, as I'm speaking, there is a ghost on the right-hand side of the auditorium who's looking at me. And, and I hand the piece of paper to the teachers, and I continued my talk. And then when there was a lull, the teacher went up and said, you know, Carl has just said something in this auditorium. Carl, tell him what you saw. I said, well, it's not I saw. I see him. He's standing there. And can you describe him? And I described him. And I described the shirt that he had and how he rolled up his sleeve. And I said, he has a strange gait when he walks. So I walked across the stage. And, and the way he would, like, bobble a little bit as he was walking, one teacher I thought was going to have a heart attack. She says, that was our drama teacher who died five years ago. I said, well, he's still here. And he had a very unique walk. And she used to take his sleeves and roll them up. And I said, oh, by the way, he's talking about a performance of South Pacific. She goes, that was the last performance he, he did for the school before he died. Wow. And so, uh, so what happened is, see, the way I figure is that most of these students, they immigrated to the United States with their parents to South America. And they're into spiritualism down there. So they have an interest in ghosts. They don't poo-poo these things. And when the class, when the school day was over, you would expect the kids to grab their stuff and run out the door. They would not leave. And the teacher said this. The day is over. You could go home now. And they said, no, we want to talk to Mr. Petri. And many of these kids are bringing up dead pictures of their father, mothers, grandmothers, friends. And they said, what can you tell me about this? And I was standing there as in line and telling them things that I saw within the pictures that they gave me. And I was there in the school for easily over seven hours. That's a remarkable experience, Carl. I'm glad that you had it. And it brings up 
other questions, the first that comes to mind is the drama teacher who gave evidence of his presence there among you had a different gait in his walk. The question yeah. I have for you is, in your experience interacting with spirits, do you find that when they represent themselves, in the case of the drama teacher with the different kind of walk, this different gait, do they do that because they identify with it so intimately? After all, on the other side, you don't have a body anymore. You can project an image, but you don't have any funny walk because you don't have legs. I mean, it's all at the speed of thought and in terms of consciousness. That's the ongoing existence. When they show a gate like that, is it mainly for the purpose of of demonstrating that they are who they purport to be, or is that they identify maybe somebody was missing an arm or maybe somebody uh, limped because they had polio and that's still in their consciousness even after they've passed? Well, I believe it may be a way for a person like me to identify them. You know, that's why they, they walk the way they do. But then again, this is not the first time. I've met people who... Um, you know, had some sort of physical defect or whatever that identified them for other people. If I see there's a man standing in the right-hand side, and he just didn't have a shirt on or he had a, a, a suit on, for example, then we'd know who I was talking about. But when I described the man, his hair, the way it was cut, his, uh, how he wore his shirt, and then I turned around, I started walking exactly the way he walked. Uh, they knew immediately who I was talking about. And then when he mentioned South Pacific, you know, the whole thing was really emotional for one uh, teacher who was very close to this man. And I, as I finished, and I was, again, speaking to the class, to the, uh, the auditorium again, she pulled herself to the side and she was blowing. She was crying in the corner because it was so emotional for her. And, uh, you know, it's it sad, but at the same time, uh, the school realizes that, you know, in the passing of this man, whatever, that he was, he's still with them. Oh, getting back to the, uh, uh, to speaking to the auditorium, uh, when we had a short little break, I said to the one teacher, I said, uh, are these teachers going to get in trouble? I said, by the superintendent of the schools, if they find out that I'm here speaking and a whole day's gone by without teaching. And she looked at me and she said, see the top row? I said, yeah, she goes, that's the superintendent of education for the, uh, for the county. He, <laughs> <wanted to bring it. laughs> he was there all you day. You didn't want to miss the action. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like that. I like that. <laughs> Well, but, that's great, know, and it's an uh, honor for you. I mean, that's really a great compliment to you, Carl, that they would block out that time because they wanted to hear what you had to say. Oh, yeah. It, it was terrific, and uh, time just flew by. And uh, we, the students had a lot of good questions that they were asking. They'll start on a topic, and then without jumping into another one, I would say, are there any questions? And they would come up with some really great questions, which I'm sure other students had. And so it just flew high. They were getting answers to questions that they always had about the subject. And uh, the, the course went fantastic, and it was, um, you know, it was a big hit. And speaking of big hits, I'm thinking of this aspirationally, and I know that there are a lot of production problems because of coronavirus. But say a bit, if you would, Carl, about this ambitious project, which I would love to see come to fruition, where 
you, Carl Petri himself, is intended to be portrayed by an actor and the experiences that you've had in the work that you do is to be brought to television. How is that project going given what we're all going through as a nation? Well, that's a sad story and I'll tell you why. Um, when the pandemic really hit, in this, especially this area, uh, you know, our numbers were people dying in the thousands. I know different parts of Florida, whatever, People may be dying in the tens or maybe hundreds, but here they're dying at wholesale prices. And when it came to the production of Absent Witness, the TV show, the actor who portrayed me, his mother passed away from uh, the pandemic, uh. and he had to move to Florida to take care of matters. And he's now a resident of Florida, so he can't play for our country anymore. And then we had another actor. That was a major part of the TV show, and uh, I got a call saying that he was taken to one of the hospitals in New York City because of the, of the uh, Corona-19, and that I was told he died. So wow. now <clears throat> we have episodes with a, a Carl that doesn't exist, and we have episodes that have that was supposed to continue with this actor that he passed away. He's buried now in Georgia. So now we had to put the brakes on the entire project. Even though we have episodes, we can't really air them because you can't go any further because, you know, Carl that they knew is gone and then the main actor is dead. But that's a sad, me, sad story, but it's true. Yeah, you know, you're you're reminding me, you're, you're bringing up a question for me, and I, I guess uh, I don't know if, if you've thought about this or if anybody has asked you about this, but with the pandemic going on, and it's not just... New Jersey or Florida, it's worldwide. Do you do you have a a sense about um, the number of people who are leaving to go to the other side during the pandemic, and what is what that is doing to the the consciousness of the Earth globe on a worldwide scale? Do you have a, an opinion or or a, a sense about that, Carl? to say about that now. It's going to take time. We're going to see that right now it's still very, very active. We're going to see what it's like maybe uh, six months or a year from now. We don't know the uh, consequences of you know, what has happened uh, on, the, on the larger scale. I mean, you have to look back around you know, 1918 when we had the Spanish influenza right. uh, where people were dying and um, you know we didn't know what was going to happen with that. We're, People died from that in all the casualties of World War One. You know that's how bad that disease was. And uh, what that is that what we learned from the from the uh, Spanish influenza after all these years, we found out that a lot of it could have been eliminated if people were masked and they kept their distance. And if you're a person efficiency, you would know we learned something from that. And then when I personally feel people saying, well, I'm not going to keep my distance that I refuse to wear a mask, but we just went through this a long time ago, 100 years ago. We had to learn something from it. You know, so that, that's my take on it. Okay. In the last couple of minutes that we have, Carl, I have not heard anything discussed in the metaphysical community, whether online, in person, what have you. I have not heard any mention of 
victims of COVID-19 who have passed away attempting to come back and not only contact their relatives, but to indicate that, yes, they are okay, and to give some idea of what the process was like and any meaning that attaches to this highly contagious, unique virus, which was only discovered in 2019, hence the name COVID-19, and what that means in terms of the human community. You know, people were uh, not maybe like a year later, maybe sooner, maybe a bit after that, but people were contacting their relatives who had died in, on uh, 9-11. They were 9-11 victims. They died in the towers. They died in the airplanes, etc. And they were contacting their relatives. Now I wonder if we're going to see that with this pandemic. Oh, sure we will, definitely. Uh, but it's all too new. Uh, it's going to take a little time. I'm sure that some people have contacted uh, mediums, you know, throughout the world, uh, except we haven't heard about it yet. But it will happen. Now, people who died in the World Trade Center, it took a while, but they came back, and a lot of them, you know, spoke. Uh, I, as a matter of fact, I had an incident with that, which is mentioned in my first book, uh, about going to the site of the World Trade Center and actually standing there and looking at some of the people who are still in that area. They're stuck in that area of, of, the, of the, where the World Trade Center is still. Um, yeah, so I expect that with this pandemic, when it's all over, you know, we will hear about people who crossed over and will, you know, give us some messages from the other side. I do expect that. And we do as well. And hopefully some of them are going to contact their loved ones through you, Carl. It's great work that you do. You're a magnanimous man. You're an articulate man, a very intelligent man. And you're always welcome on Manson Mitchell. When that book comes out, that's our next interview, buddy. I love it. All right. Thank you for being with us today. And the book, again, by Carl Petrie, last name P-E-T-R-Y, is Absent, Absent Witness. Witness. All right. Coming up next. The Christine Upchurch Show, followed by the Susan Harmon Experience, followed by American Road Trip Talk with host Gary Mance. And today we trekked our way to Santa Fe, New Mexico. Have a great weekend, everyone, and stay tuned whenever possible to AM 1150 KKNW Seattle. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.